What's up, guys? It is episode 15 of Believe in Queens. I'm back, baby. Joey C, back in the building for this episode with my man, Tyler Ward. He has the perfect attendance record through 15 episodes of Believe in Queens. Tyler, we're missing someone tonight, aren't we? We are missing someone. And, you know, we ragged you last episode because Rec, oh, I heard. Here. Rec <laughs> went out of his way to record with me in like a, a side room while he was in Cali. And this schmuck being you is out here just doing a little family reunion and why thinking you can prioritize that over our Believe in Queens, whatever. You know, wreck his excuses. Oh, I'm on a flight back home from Cali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoop the whoop the effing do. All right, wreck. Yeah, I want right. Come on. You have the money. Buy the Wi-Fi. Make sure it's connected. Let's record while you're on the flight. Who says no? What, what, what is he on? Fucking Spirit Airlines right now. He can't do the show. I mean, come on, wreck. Look, look. I, I don't care if you were making the veteran minimum. I don't care if you were making half a million a year when you were with the Mets, man. Get the Wi-Fi, fly first class, do the damn show. If you're on JetBlue, if you're on Delta, even American Airlines, right? Like, we don't discriminate. As long as you're not being a cheap ass on Spirit right now, you can join us. So there's no excuses. You know, we could have had a cameo from his wife, Kelly. Could have had any of his kids on the show. And instead, you know, he's probably like, you know, sipping on a cocktail right now, just enjoying life. And, uh, and we're out here in the nitty gritty of things at one in the morning putting in the hard work it's just uh it's inexcusable if you ask me it is inexcusable and so was the Mets this past series Joe so take take it away what are we talking about today yeah we've got a lot to get to look this was the worst Mets series of the year I haven't felt this bad after a series since probably when they split a four-game set with the Marlins uh, a few weeks back Uh, I'm just uh, you know a lot of things went wrong this series between injuries uh, between you know just bad plays we're going to get into all of that. We've got some bright spots, though. Brett Beatty is officially a New York Met. I can't wait to get into that. We might have our third baseman of the next decade and a half. Uh, but first, Tyler, I think it's very important that we remind the people who this show is brought to you by, and that's Bet Online. Bet Online is the spot to go for your lines, your odds, your latest news and developments in the world of sports. Guys, get those bets in on Bet Online. Whether you want to bet MLB games daily, MLB futures, you know, look, hey, The one bright side to the Mets losing three out of four, you'll get better odds on the Mets to win the World Series this year. So go do that at Bet Online. Go get those NFL futures in weeks one, weeks two, and of course, division conference champs. Those are all available on Bet Online. So head on over there and use that code BELIEVE50. That's B L E A V 50 for your first time 50% welcome bonus. Guys, Bet Online, it's where the game begins. Tyler, take it away. We've got some big news obviously we've got to recap the series we've got yet another divisional rival we're playing this weekend the phillies we're gonna get to all of that everything i discussed brett Beatty and whatnot but believing queens has some monumental groundbreaking one might say tyler earth-shattering news and i'll let you take it away from here Alrighty, folks, taking a step away from episode 15 of Believe in Queens to let you all know that, yes, we have merchandise now to represent the podcast. I've been asked all the time from viewers on YouTube and overall on social media, when is merch going to come out? Well, it has officially begun. So if you're watching here on YouTube, you guys see it. We have seven different awesome t-shirt options, but also if you're listening wherever you get your audio podcast. Don't worry, in case you guys don't want to type in the website, we will have the link for you guys down in the description. Wherever you get your podcast, same thing here on YouTube for this latest episode. But guys, look at these designs. They are so fantastic. We got Believe in Queens and a nice Mets-esque cursive font. Shout out to our great team at the Believe Network for coming up with these designs for us. We have them in every single color from black to white to orange and blue, all Mets-centric, of course. We have Brittany Volgaback, one of my favorite t-shirts we have here in all these same colors as well. That one looks fantastic then down forward outside of the believe in queens tank tops and normal t-shirts we have get wrecked for anthony wrecker beautiful design here in orange blue black and white love these designs so so much they came out so clean again so proud of what the believe team was able to do here for joe sorallo who's known for saying prospects are cool parades are cooler if you guys are in favor of trading prospects when the timing is right to help a team of course win a championship then this is the shirt for you we have it in just blue and orange for this one then we have trumpet which is of course for edwin diaz cue those trumpets baby cue narco by blaster jacks we have that in every colorway for you guys the black one always looks so sick i mean everything black looks awesome for me 
Wardy. That's always what I wear on YouTube as is. And then my personal favorite biasly is I always say the word schmuck either on the podcast or for my normal content on Wardy NYM on YouTube. We have it in black, white, orange, and blue. You guys can can get it. So if you guys want to be a schmuck like me or call other people schmucks, however you want to go about it, make sure to get the schmuck t-shirt. And the prices are great, ranging from $25 to $27 or $20 to $22 if you guys get the tank top. So all you got to do is go to shop.believe.com. Again, that is shop.believ.com. And then once you go down to the left on the website, it'll ask you for shows. And those are your options for the Believe shows. Click on Believe in Queens and you'll get your seven different t-shirt options. More t-shirts will surely be rolling out but until then these are the designs we're working with so make sure to tag us on social media or let us know in the comments on youtube if you guys purchase we can't wait to see you guys repping them at mets games or wherever you're going to be repping them thank you guys all so much in advance again just the beginning here on believe in queens make sure to check it all out links in the description as always on youtube and wherever you get your audio podcasts again one more time for the people in the back shop.bleavforbelieve.com get your believe in queens merchandise today and now let's hop right back into this episode what a groundbreaking announcement <laughs> seriously beautifully done by me i will biasly say but again guys make sure to check it out links down below joe any final remarks on the merchandise before we deep dive the show i mean tyler it's fucking incredible stuff it is great stuff i i will say i will say you schmuck you got one thing wrong the prospects are cool parades are cooler i'd love to take credit for that that's not my catchphrase. That is Casey Stern, of course, MLB insider. He's you said it before. I've said it, and I've always credited Casey. I've always credited Casey. Okay, fair. Um, that was actually a, a mishap on the back end uh, with Believe, because that's Casey's show, Unfiltered with Casey Stern, also on our network. Casey is a diehard Mets fan, just like we are, Tyler. We will have him on the show very soon. He's a great guy. But I do want to make it clear, that catchphrase, is Casey's. I believe he might have trademarked it, uh, but he is another host in the Believe family, unfiltered with Casey Stern. And I agree, prospects are cool. Parades are a whole fucking lot cooler. And last point I want to make when it comes to the merch: that trumpet shirt, Teller. I don't know if you saw my tweet. You know, I mentioned it's about one in the morning right now. I was out tonight, had a little date action after dinner. We went to the bar, and Narco came on oh, at the goodness. bar. At the bar. Tyler, when I say it was fucking electric, dude. I mean, I heard that and I was like, you know, I'm talking to the girl. We met up with her friends and I'm like, you know, she's talking to me and I'm like listening. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. and in the back, I'm like, is that, is that what I think it is? Did I just, did I just hear, did I just hear what I think I just heard? Dude, trumpets is being played at bars now. Like New York City bars. You can't make it up. It's unreal and the funny thing is is that the braves think they have something but william Contreras walking up to it and blasting it there in truce every game as if anyone thinks that that song is backed with william no if you know narco by blaster jacks you know that that is edwin diaz's music to come in the ninth or whenever he's coming in but that's besides the point let's talk about some more frustrating things before we get to some positives which was this brave series losing three or four i deep dive it as well my channel went over to post games for every single game on three of those post games were losses and they were brutal so my initial question to you joe is before we go in the nit and gritty about these each four games and then get into the philly series and before that brett Beatty and how great he looked so far in his debut what he can mean for the mets on the hot quarter down the stretch and in the future what is your initial raw takeaway from losing three or four here to the Atlanta Braves? It's tough. I'm kind of torn, to be honest, because it sucks, right? My, my initial raw gut reaction is that this sucks. You, you know, you just beat them four out of five, just beat the Phils two out of three, right? We're cocky, we're bragging, we're kings of the fucking world. And then you drop three out of four, and it's like, worst case, we were hoping for a split here. You know, worst case, split this go six and three in a nine game stretch. So it's a bit of a a reality check, if you will. I was going to say gut punch, but I don't think it's that severe. It's definitely a reality check. At the same time, I was just asking for five out of nine going into this brave stretch, right? Now, once we took the first four out of five, I don't think it was a stretch to want six. I don't think it was greedy to want to win six out of nine. But going into it, I was like, hey, go five and four. And, you know, just if you have a winning record against the Braves, you're probably going to win the division. So that's what we did. And trying to look at this, you know, in the macro, trying to look at this, you know, taking emotion out of it, removing that element. I'm happy. 
right? We got we got five out of four, but it definitely stinks, especially just the way it all happened, right? Games one and two, Cookie and Ty get hurt in the first two innings. I mean, that's such a gut punch. Cookie was our, our leader in wins. Go figure on a team with Scherzer and DeGrom and Bassett, who was an all-star last year. Ty, who was an all-star last year. Go figure, Cookie is our wins leader. He goes down. He's going to be out like a month. You get Ty maybe encouraging signs there. He may be ready to make his next start. I don't see him missing more than 10 days, but still it's like, you know, it's a gut punch to have him, you know, he was pitching pretty well. It was only two innings, but he was doing well. And to have him leave injured, it sucks. Scherzer, you know, I thought he pitched great. I actually don't know if I fully agree with Buck pulling him when he did, because even though Scherzer gave up those four earned runs, Adovino allowed, what, three of them to cross the plate? If not, was it all four? No, it, it, was, it was three four in total. Three got charged. Uh, pardon me. Maybe it was three. You might be right. No, 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 no. You're right. You're wrong. right. Adovino allowed four runs to cross home. One was charged to him. That was the actual home run. Three were charged to Scherzer. And so it's like, you know, it, it all comes back to the bullpen. I would say my biggest takeaway from this series is I was wrong about the bats we acquired. They look great. Vogey, Ruff, who just missed a home run by this much. You know, Naquin, the platoon thing, it's working, right? We didn't do enough to that bullpen. And when Cookie and Ty go down, we got freaking R.J. Alvarez pitching in a big league game. He belongs nowhere near the big leagues, right? Like, and he's let's since be been DFA'd. Yeah, like, let, let's be honest. He belongs nowhere near a big league roster. So there's question marks. There's concerns. You know, if shit hits the fan, who's the next man up in the bullpen? Outside of Diaz, I don't know. I don't know. That That's what I walk away from this series feeling most concerned about. It's like, you know, we've got Scherzer, we've got Jake, we've got Diaz. After that, you know, some banged up starters and a lot of question marks in the bullpen. All of a sudden we had too much pitching and now I'm, I'm genuinely worried if we have enough. See, it's funny because don't get me wrong, the bullpen really labored in this one. And when you look at the guys that labored most, for the most part, not all of them, but especially in games one and two, we're guys that are not expected to be in the bullpen down the stretch come playoff time, especially when you look at the RJ Alvarez's, the Steven Nugosics, among others. These are guys that were strictly eating innings because the Mets had no other options. And the question that lies for all us Mets fans is, why didn't we have more options, right? Well, you look at the injuries to Drew Smith right now still. Tyler McGill, Cookie Carrasco being on the shelf really hurts right now, obviously, and Ty having a short start, but... Those are guys that at this juncture in the season should not even be an idea to be in this bullpen for the Mets. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. The bullpen is a question mark for this team. And I have a great feeling that that'll probably make or break how deep this team goes down the stretch here in the playoffs. However, I'm not just looking at the bullpen because you look, you get blown out 15 to one in game one. Cookie, of course, is out for over a month now with an oblique injury. Thankfully, it's not as severe as what was Max Scherzer's, but he's still going to need ramp-up time for a guy around 35 years of age. They're not going to rush it with someone like him. So the Mets will be lucky if they have him, of course, by the end of the season as they eventually head into playoffs here. But after that, the Mets didn't made, made zero valiant effort offensively. Now, this was a game where how did Cookie get hurt? He there was a one hour rain delay that we saw in this matchup and Cookie came out of pitch, which was a little questionable to a lot of fans, including myself. And what happens? Cookie comes out after an hour rain delay for someone of his age. Didn't love that idea. I understand you need to eat innings, but this guy throws a pitch and then he's out for over a month. I mean, would that have still happened potentially if he did not pitch? post rain delay we'll never know but it's definitely something to keep in mind and think about buck showalter's decision making i know his hands were tied there again i'm fully aware the mets didn't have much options but it still was just not a great look in that point in time but the mets didn't show up in games one and two and for the majority of the series the offense was lackluster we saw that in the philly series joe they showed up against zach wheeler who they'll be matching up with again in this four game set against the phillies that we'll be getting into later in the show but they got shut down by Rangers Suarez. I was at that game. That was frustrating. So were you, obviously. They lost in extras. Then they got shut down by Aaron Nola, who they're matching up against tonight at the time you guys probably watching or listening to episode 15 of Believe in Queens. So you look at the offense. They do absolutely nothing. The bullpen, our guy, guy that we've raved about a lot in Adonis Medina, finally gets the call in a rush situation. He's a guy that's eating <sighs> and nothing right for the Mets, and he absolutely did not have it. He gave up five earned runs. Michael Givens, who's been so hit or miss, more so miss up until this final game in this series, he gave up a couple. They gave up nine total runs between the two. 
So the Mets offense was lackluster. You know you're having a bad game when Darren Ruff comes out and not pitch one, but two innings and is your best pitcher. He now has the Mets record for the first position player to pitch not one, but two scoreless innings on only 14 pitches. He should not have given up one hit. I'm still bothered. I'm not going to lie. Robbie Grossman somehow got a hit when it was a clear error there. I mean, that that was really annoying, in my opinion. Talk, but- talk about being economical, though. I mean, 14 pitches and two innings, it's the kind of stuff little leaguers on pitch counts dream of. We, we should we should quite literally consider this guy as a bullpen option because he's been the most reliable guy out of the pen from the trade oh, deadline man. if you're looking at acquisitions. <laughs> but the Mets just didn't have the offense. And in game one, you could understand it a little bit. Look, they're coming into Atlanta. There's no off day. There's a rain out. And the Braves were just the better team. They took advantage of subpar pitching, which has been the entire story of the Braves season. They dominate against lesser opponents, lesser pitching. They make sure that they do not miss any and every opportunity they get but when you don't score more than a run in these first two games of both amounts of losses, it's still on the offense, okay? If the Mets at least got some type of thing offensively going the first two games, you could say, hey, the Mets, they lost both their starters, but at least they had a valiant effort. At least they made something get closer. No, it was completely lopsided. When you get outscored 19-1 to the first two games, by God, at that point, all of us Mets fans and their mothers were praying that Max Scherzer will come and lock it down. Same thing with Jacob DeGrom. Both these guys didn't pitch bad whatsoever, but thankfully the Mets got the win in game three that we'll get into in a minute. But overall, this was just a very lackluster Mets team in this four-game matchup. The Braves were the better team, regardless on some bad bounces. I'm not going to sound like a Braves fan after the Mets took four or five, okay? Regardless on what the reasons are, the Mets no were not exactly the Mets <laughs> were not the better team. As much as there's voodoo magic going on, you know, this devil magic in Atlanta to do anything and everything to make the Mets not have wins. The umpire was, of course, not having a great strike zone in almost every single one of these games. It doesn't denounce the fact that at the end of the day, the Mets were not the better team. And that is, of course, a reality check to us fans and have to give credit where credit's due. The Braves got the job done. Spencer Strider came into game one. He won five, only giving up one earned run. He was much better. He knew the approach and he adjusted his game. He said it himself in trying to get these at-bats going. Yes, the Mets got their work, his pitch count up fairly early, but Strider's not a guy that's known to go deep into games to begin with. He started the year as a reliever, so I'm not surprised they won five, but he got the job done. He got some swing and misses, and he met the he met he made the Mets look silly, as did the rest of the Braves' bullpen. And in game two, the Mets lose 5-0. Charlie Morin, who Rex said in our last podcast when you famously weren't here, you know, is Morton going to be the guy of from previous uh, games against the Mets this year? Mets had a roughly eight-year array on him through a couple starts in 2022. Or is Morton going to have his patent fastball going upwards of 96-97 and that nasty curveball working? And that's exactly what happened. The Mets did their best Braves impression in game two. They struck out 12 times and more and more and won 6.2 scoreless. And they struck out 14 times as a whole. That was, of course, with Tywin Walker being hurt. But it doesn't matter that Walker got hurt there with bad back spasms. He said that was actually the worst pain he's ever had. He looks like he's good to go for Sunday. He said himself today uh, at the time of recording this, but that's going to be the Mets decision. And we'll get into who may pitch on Sunday. Is it going to be him or is it going to be potentially right-handed pitching prospect that will deep dive here shortly? But the Mets just didn't come up. You saw Al- Alvarez, RJ Alvarez, who was DFA'd the following day. Steven Nagosik, they themselves gave up those five runs that the Braves scored. Again, Braves just, of course, continuing to dominate against lesser pitching. Mets didn't have the offense, so you can't say, okay, again, it's because of pitching. No, the Mets did not come up to the plate when they needed to. So that's what made Game 3 and Game 4 so much more pivotal, right, Joe? You get this crazy Game 3 matchup. The Mets win 9-7. It was a roller coaster. Max being Max was a stud. But here's where I'm going to have a respectful disagreement with you on, and that was Max being pulled in that game. You know, he ended up, Max, again, strong outing, nothing crazy, but Max, he won 6.1, four earned runs, three walks, AKs. But if you were watching that seventh inning, Max could not locate the strike zone to save his life. And granted, do I trust Max more than any other reliever in that bullpen? Absolutely, aside from Edwin Diaz. So you can make the argument, but his pitch count was gained up, and he literally had the bases juice right around two outs or less then, Adam Adovino comes in. He has a double play to end the inning. But, of course, Von Grissom, the young stud of a rookie for the Braves, just legs it out. They do a challenge. It's reverse rolls. The inning continues, and Robbie Grossman hits a three-run bomb out of nowhere on the Mets, and that changed the complete complexion of the game. Mets were only up by a couple runs at that juncture. Thankfully, they would tack on more with a Pete Alonzo clutch. Two RBI single there in the ninth. Daniel Vogelback would come in after Alonzo somehow somebody steals second base, and Vogelback gets in for the ninth run, which be which would be huge because Trevor May in the bottom of the ninth. 
He gives up multiple runs, was looking really shaky against these Braves. Thanks, thankfully, the Mets leg did not got the job done after Edwin Diaz had a scoreless eighth because, of course, he did. Edwin's been money all year. But outside of Edwin, the bullpen, there's nothing going right now. There's little to no consistency. So, Joe, what's your opinion here, especially Scherzer? Because I can understand the argument both ways, but in my opinion, same thing with Jake to a certain extent. I understood why Buck made that decision. It just sucks how much we do not have the trust in the bullpen. Even Adam Adovino, talk about bad luck. Should have had that double play. He legs it out by a hair to get there safe, and that changed the complete complexion of that inning. He ends up giving up one earned run, but the other three attacked on Max. It always sucks when Max, again, gives up runs that he maybe could have gone out of. Same thing with Jake that we saw there in tonight's game at the time of recording this. So, yeah, what's your reaction to Scherzer being pulled? Do you do you still have that same perspective, or do you kind of understand what I'm saying? Because when I say he he was not committing the strike zone, he was all over the place. You could tell that Max was not in a groove there in the seventh inning. I would rather live and occasionally die by my superstars than turn to question marks like the Mets bullpen is full of. So personally, Tyler, even if Scherzer doesn't have his best stuff, Scherzer on an off night is better than anyone in that bullpen, not named Edwin Diaz, like you mentioned. So, you know, also as a pitcher, and I think we've discussed this before. I don't know if Rec was on that episode, if it was even before his time joining the show. There's nothing more frustrating. And it's part of the game. I get it. Sometimes your, your bullpen bails you out and it goes both ways. But there are very few things more frustrating than coming out of a game with guys on base and watching those inherited runners score because, you know, a reliever lets him in. A guy with a fresh arm just out of the pen. And, you know, you're, you're sitting there and you're like, God darn it like I you know I could have gotten those guys out or I'd rather at least have it in my hands right like you know the old adage if you want something done right do it yourself I just I'd rather have Scherzer out there and we saw it two nights in a row with inherited runners and they were you know tonight with Jake uh it was costly last night with Max it was almost costly you mentioned that after Adovino gave up the home run the Mets were up only a couple runs they were only up one run after that home run, that Robbie Grossman home run made it six to five. It's 1 a.m. So, recording, Joe. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not saying that for the point of correcting you. I'm saying that for the point of emphasizing just how close the Mets were to getting swept in a four game set. That's that's the only reason I'm saying it. Agreed. You know, I, I and I like out of out of, you know, I think I like him more than you. I think I like him more than than rec likes him. I think I've been one of out biggest defenders and biggest supporters all year. I love that him this year. But at the end of the day, man, I'd rather have Max Scherzer on a so-so night than Adovino any night. Because Adovino, we've seen it. And, you know, luckily, it really hasn't cost the Mets too often. But we've seen Adovino's prone to that occasional long ball. And in a situation like last night, it didn't cost the Mets, but it was damn close. Too close for comfort. And, yeah, I just I, – I would have rather have Max out there to finish the inning. And I know Adovino could have just as easily gotten a double play. Grossman never even comes up that inning, and it's what, you know, six to six to one if that double play is rolled because a run score there, three more with the homer. So I, I, I get that. But it's just it, – it's frustrating to watch. And then Lugo did it tonight. You know, and, and there were a lot of other things that went on in that play. You know, Lugo gave up a weak ground ball up the middle at the end of the day. It was, you know, the defensive positioning and – Nimmo throwing to the cutoff guy and, you know, not having the strong arm and just gunning it home that, who was it? Was it, uh, it was Christmas again, the kid again. Yeah. Scoring from first on that little grounder. I, I mean, so we've seen it a couple nights in a row where guys who are supposed to be our best bullpen arms outside of Edwin come in and then Max and Jake ultimately get charged when it's like, you know, I, I'd rather have Max and Jake stay out there and get out of it themselves. Cause I trust them more than I trust Adovino or Lugo. And that's completely fair. I think I'm just trying to give some some benefit of the doubt to Buck here because I understood it. You know, it's it's a high-risk type situation, high reward, and unfortunately, it just did not go the Mets' way in these back-to-back games, even though that they did win game three. But before we get into game four, and we're going to deep dive him more further, I did want to talk about the pauses from game three, and that was the Mets' offense breaking out. They faced a Jake Odorizzi, but they tacked on two runs on that they saw in the first time they faced him in the doubleheader a week ago. And Stalin Marte, guns a-blazing, dead center bomb right away in this game. Francisco Lindor, how you doing? A back-to-back, no problem. The Mets are up 2 nothing early. But as and then, we advance, as we advance in the second there's a man on base. It was Mark Hanna, if I'm not – I could be wrong because, again, I'm wrong all the time. 
Markin had two doubles in this game, right? But with that double, you saw Brett Beatty make his MLB debut. All the hype. Over 20 of his family, friends, former coaches in attendance. And he rips a curveball that's more down and away in the zone for a two-run bomb in his first play appearance as a New York Met. Talk about poetic. Talk about the best moment you could possibly have as a young kid, 22 years of age. He was in high A a year ago. Talk about making an impact in such a short period of time. Brett Beatty, who's been hitting almost 400 his past 25 games in the minors in AA and AAA, entering his debut yesterday, and he gets all that bad boy. What a moment for him and his family. So what was your initial reaction to see Beatty again? He's supposed to be the heir apparent to David Wright. Again, that's a tall task. We're not saying he's ever going to be as good as David. If he's even somewhat good as David in his prime, then by God, do the Mets have something amazing here. But what, what was your raw reaction? I, my voice cracked. I was losing my mind. I jumped off my couch. I, I For a guy that's my same age, I felt like a little kid watching a star in the making. I mean, I, I, I just I needed to change my pants. It was, <laughs> you, know, you, you, you talked about him being in a high A a year ago. Tyler, he was in double A a month ago. <laughs> like, exactly. It's, it's ridiculous, right? And for him to just have that storybook start to his career, you know what it reminded me of? It gave me goosebumps. It reminded me of when David Wright in 2015 came off the IL, might have been the DL back then, and hit that homer, his first at-bat at Citizens Bank Park in Philly. That's what it reminded me of. And I know totally different stories. Wright was at that point of his career battling injuries and dealing with spinal stenosis, and it was his return. He had been with the team 10, 11 years already. For Beatty, first at-bat, different. But just knowing that, it's the franchise third baseman. That, that's what made it feel like that moment for Wright coming back. You know, Wright, obviously beloved by, I can't even say many, by all, really, right? Like, no one, no one didn't love David Wright. He was our captain. He was the cornerstone of this franchise through the great years, 06 to, you know, 07 and 08. Didn't end well, but obviously for most of the season, for 159 games, they were, you know, they were great years. Wright was at the heart of that. He stuck with us through the bad years, 09, 10, 11. So when Wright had that moment, it was huge. And now looking at Beatty come up and being like, hey, this could be the guy. We're a veteran team, right? We're an old, aren't we the oldest team in baseball? That is correct. And to see Beatty come up there and do this his first at bat, it's like, hey, we might have him and Alonzo on the corners for over a decade to come. That gave me goosebumps. That thought of the two of those guys manning the corners of the infield. It, it was it was wild to see. I mean, I, I love this kid. It's like I'm I'm already ready for this kid to be, you know, a part of this franchise for over a decade. It's funny that you bring up the David Wright moment because that's exactly what Howie Rose said when you saw that moment for Beatty. He said the exact same thing on his call. Really? He, said, he said the last time he said I had goosebumps and had a feeling like never before when Wright had that home run in 2015. I felt the exact same way when Beatty hit that home run. So to hear that from Howie and then to hear Keith raving i mean talk about trying to keep it in your pants that was Keith, especially <laughs> in game one he was going Keith's always over. trying Ke- Ex- exactly <laughs> keith, keith struggles keeping it in his pants I, I know i know i know but seriously keith was absolutely floored in a positive way about Beatty, obsessed with his swing especially because Beatty had a line out and that got canna out in that game three but it was a line out lefty and lefty on matzik and he had 113 exit velo that's the 40th Hardest hit ball in all of baseball this year. Not that hard hit rate means much, but for us Mets fans, we're going to biasly say that meant something right there, right then. And even today, again, in game four, he said that he loves Beatty's swing already more than Yelich in his prime. Like to hear this from Keith, this is a big deal. And again, we're going to get more into Beatty. I think we need to give a little bit of a secluded section uh, segment on him in the pod after we round up this Brave series. So I'd say hold your thoughts on anything more you got to say for that, Joe. I really want to go a little bit more on Beatty and just how exciting he is of a young prospect at the hot corner. But before we wrap up this Brave series, let's talk about what made it so upsetting, why we are talking right now. Maybe we're not as, as much excitement as you probably want. If you're watching YouTube, we probably have lower viewership. If you're listening to your audio, you're probably not listening as much because, again, when you lose a series, Joe – This is only the second time in 15 episodes we've discussed a series loss. Keep that in mind. The last time was against the Houston Astros, one of the two times the Mets matched up against them. Hopefully Houston beats up on the Braves the way that they beat up on the Mets because that's their next matchup. But 
Game four, we've already broken it down a little bit. Mets lose a nail-biter, a really frustrating 3-2 game. And Darren Ruff, as you mentioned earlier, was so close to a home run. They had to review it, and unfortunately went foul. He would not get anything that inning. However, Jacob DeGrom, looking like Pat Penny to goat the best pitcher in baseball, strikes out two, a 1-2-3 inning in the second. But as we get to the third, the Mets, this was their opportunity. And again, talking about wasted opportunities, Braves took advantage of the series. The Mets did not nearly as much. You had Mark Hanna, who already had now four extra base hits as he got his double there in the third. Brett Beatty with a single right down the pipe. I love the crack off his bat again. We'll get into him more. I'm raving about the kid already. Oh, easy. Yeah. I know. I know. The Mets you got love runners. Brett's wood. Exactly. The Mets got runners on the corners. No outs. They do not send Canna home. Joey Cora was being a little conservative for a change. Again, I understood that because of the ball didn't go too deep. However, the Mets were not able to execute there. What did the Braves do that following half inning? They execute on Jacob DeGrom not having a slider for the first time this year. And the third was really laboring, was trying to get it down away. It was going down below the zone. And then he threw a couple of hangers, and that led to a Dansby Swanson RBI double. That also led to an RBI single by Austin Riley. So guys that took advantage against Jake, tip of the cap. They saw Hainers, they pulled it, and they got themselves a couple runs on the Mets here. And it felt like doom and gloom for a Mets team early on because, again, when Jake pitches, we're lucky if we get a couple runs for the guy. They won their last start in a one nothing pitcher's duel against Nola, but tonight that wasn't going to happen. But thankfully, the man that was so underrated in this series, as I mentioned, Mark Hanna, four extra base hits, pulls a two-run piss missile that we would see there in the fifth inning to tie the ball game. It's a, it's a clean slate. It's a new ball game. It's back to 0-0 essentially, right? So Jacob deGrom goes on to then carve and shut down 12 straight batters until the final batter that he saw there in the seventh. Trying to go seven innings through 95 pitches, 6.2 innings pitch, as a matter of fact, only had a couple earned runs. They bring in Seth Lugo. Jake is on 95 pitches. I understood Buck here, but at the same time, if we're viewing it from a standpoint of who do you trust more, I'm taking Jake, even with on a pitch count. It's not even close. When you have the best pitcher in baseball, who do I want to get out of a jam? When you need one measly out, I want Jacob DeGrom. Seth Lugo comes in. He gives up a soft single. I think it was Austin Riley. I could be wrong. It was their center right. Harris, right? Harris? Harris, maybe. It was, yes, it was Harris. You're correct. The young kids. Harris and Grissom definitely had an impact this series. Again, tip of the cap. They're really looking good so far in their young careers with the Braves. But you see the Mets, based on the shift, they could not get any infielders to drop down. Nimmo playing a little bit back on the ball, has to get in front of it. Gives a little bit of a toss there that we see to the cough, man. Can't get a home in time. Grissom gets to home because this time, not a conservative conservative third base coach for the first time in forever and Joey Cora and the third we see an aggressive third base coach and the legend that is Ron Washington at third rounding him to go home and that would be the executing run that would make this game possible for the Braves for their, them to end up winning so as frustrating as it was to see Lugo give up that hit I almost don't blame Lugo as much as I do the defensive alignment and unfortunately mm -hmm. Brandon Nimmo I'm not trying to nitpick the guy too much I love Brandon Nimmo who doesn't Brandon Nimmo has not been playing good baseball the past month. He's not seen the ball while well. he struck out three times in this game. And Brandon, if you're not going to hit well, and maybe you're going to have one defensive issue, again, Brandon's arm has been good. He hasn't been tested much at all this year. It, with the glove, he's fantastic. Gold yeah. glove did. But the arm has not been tested. It was tonight. Couldn't get the job done. And at minimum, if you can't give us defense, Brandon, if you can't give us that great uh, play discipline, right, where you're at least making contact, at minimum, Grind out at bats and give us a walk or two. That is your job as a leadoff hitter. Nimmo was not able to do it in tonight's game, and he hasn't been consistently in over a month's span. This is actually some of the worst baseball he's played while healthy because in years past, he's dealt with some shoulder injuries, some neck issues, so that was more justified. And again, not to nitpick the guy too much. We love Brandon Nimmo, but he was a factor in the Mets game for loss here because of the lack of consistent offense for this Mets team because as you advance forward, his third strikeout came after James McCann. Finally hit a baseball this series. He hit it for an opposite field double. Nimmo in that spot trying to drive in the run less than two outs. Strikes out. And then Marte with a broken bat ground out. Ends the inning. We get to the ninth. An even more frustrating annoying play that really just tells you what this series is all about. Francisco Lindor gets his first base knock in his career against Kenley Jansen. First time the two matched up. Lindor running. Looking like he has a stolen bag with ease. For whatever reason, Pete Alonso, who again had a big hit in game three, didn't do anything besides that, 
First pitch swinging, opposite field, the ball drops, and Lindor's stuck, and he's out the first out. Then you have the slower guy, Alonzo, at first. They would have Marrero pinch run. Marrero would actually steal a bag, but the Mets would not be able to bring him in, and that ends the ball game. So, Joe, what is your final takeaway here from game four in this overall series defeat? Because this just feels like a series where the Mets simply didn't have it. They did not have the consistent offense. They did not have the bullpen. And these are two things that need to change and change fast as the Mets have a out of nowhere pivotal, really, really important matchup against the Phillies team while the Mets don't have all their normal starters in there for that four-game set. Yeah, you know, look, it's just this was one of those games where the Mets were set up for success. You had Freed making his first start in a while because he was out with a concussion. Jake was rolling, looking great. You know, made a couple, and not many, just a couple bad pitches in the third. It's like one of those games where you just say, like, the ball's not bouncing their way, right? It, that was just what happened, you know? Jake had Swanson, two strikes, two outs in the third, and left the hanging slider out there, something he rarely ever does was trying to go away, thing bled out inside corner. Swanson's a professional hitter. Turned back to McCann, said, I'll take care of this one. Austin Riley, same thing. It wasn't as bad of a slider as the one he threw Swanson, but it was still one that got way more plate than it was intended to, and Riley's a great hitter. The Braves have a lineup, top to bottom, that I think is superior to the Mets. You can argue I think it's the best lineup in baseball, right? And they got Ozzy Albies coming back before you know it. Yeah, right? Although, I mean, the way Grisham's playing since he got called up, I don't even know if Albies would be an upgrade over this kid. But, uh, you know, I think the Mets' advantage is obviously pitching, and that's why I was really hoping to salvage games three and four with Max and Jake. But the Braves, top to bottom, I mean, their lineup, I think it's it's better than the Mets, Astros, Yankees, you name it, Dodgers, Padres. The Braves' lineup is ridiculous. And you make a mistake, Swanson, Riley, the rest of them, Robbie freaking Grossman, they're going to make you pay. And that's what they did. Jake made two mistakes. It's very rare he makes one mistake, let alone two in a game. But – he came back and, you know, you mentioned 12 guys in a row and, you know, then he gives up the hit to, uh, to Grisham gets pulled. It, it's like, I don't disagree with Buck as much about pulling him there. 95 pitches, fourth start back as I do with, you know, Scherzer last night. Um, but you know, what can you do? Things just weren't going their way. Lugo didn't give up a hard hit ball. He didn't pull it out of, you know, give up a bomb, gives up a little grounder up the middle. And, you know, Nimmo fudges it up. And, look, I love Nimmo. We all love Nimmo. I mean, in the same way I just mentioned, every Mets fan loves David Wright. I don't know too many Mets fans don't love Brandon Nimmo. Uh, but you got to call it how it is, especially, you know, when, when we're doing a show like this, right? You can't just be, you know, part of these guys' fan club every episode. And Brandon Nimmo just hasn't been doing the job. You mentioned his glove. This is the best glove I've ever seen out of Brandon Nimmo. 100%. Covering more range than ever. His center field play, the way he reads balls, gets jumps, it's superb. It's phenomenal. But his arm is trash. And hitting the cutoff guy there, you know, I don't know if he took it for granted that, you know, it's a little grounder up the middle. Grisham's not going to go first to home on this, right? It, it was just, it was like a sloppy play. It was, it was a play that should have never happened. That little grounder up the middle should have never resulted in the game-winning run. And uh, so that really, that truthfully, that really pisses me off. Um, what was the old family guy line that grinds my gears? Is that, yeah. is that what that really grinds yeah. my gears? Yeah. That really <laughs> grind. Yeah. I got letting the guy score from first on a little ground up the middle. That really grinds my gears. Uh, but it was just a series where, you know, health wise, play wise, the ball just wasn't bouncing the Mets way. Um, I hope that they can let it go quickly because this Philly series is really important. It's really important. Our lead on Atlanta is down to four games. We got to go out. Uh, we got to go to Philly now. A, a ballpark that as a visiting team in recent years, we've had pretty good success in and we've got to hit the freaking crap out of the ball. The bats have to wake up because the series just, you know, we had one offensive outburst and three games of absolutely nothing. Bats got to wake up. It's August in citizens bank park. The ball flies. We got to hit the crap out of it. Yes, we do. And before we pivot into Brett Beatty and the Phillies, two more things. I just want to mention quick that Grissom play that we saw from first to home wasn't even the first time it happened this series. If you remember in game one, Mark Hanna lost the ball in the lights, the clouds, whatever was happening <sighs> before the rain delay. And Michael Harris, again, the guy that drove in Grissom in game four was the man who did the exact same thing, rounded all the way from first to home, with ease head down, bolting great speed from both these respective young studs. And the big thing though, I will say there's one positive from this bullpen for the most part in this series. It's the guy who was Jekyll and Hyde got absolutely beat up in game one, but he made up for it sneakily 
here in game four. And that was Michael Gibbons striking out the side in the eighth. He struck out Acuna. He struck out Swanson. He struck out Riley. So I know that this guy, again, has been anything but dependent for the Mets right now and needing this guy down the stretch and in close games. But you'd have to imagine that this is great for his confidence and a nice positive boost for him personally and for the Mets. Maybe you don't think it's as much, but I think it's impressive considering of how subpar the Mets bullpen was this entire series. That's a positive in my mind. And hopefully we can see more of that from Givens in this four-game matchup against the Phillies. Really quick, what can you do when you come in and a team is up 3-2? to two? I know it was a close game, but we were losing when he did that. Yeah. Givens, I, I don't trust him with a lead. I don't, I don't trust know. him with a lead either, but I'm saying this was definitely a point in the right direction is what I'm trying to make. I hope. I hope. I just Right now, I don't even know if he's worthy of making a postseason roster. He he gives me agita. I don't know. I mean, you, you're Italian. You know what agita means. Of course. Of Mike, course. Michael Givens gives me agita on the mound. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was a step in the right direction, and I like the way that you're looking at things optimistically. That's usually my shtick. Uh, but him, Trevor May last night, you know, and May is a guy who I usually try to stick in his corner. I like Trevor May, you know, when he's on, he's great, but he's got to be on more often. I mean, this bullpen is, it's scaring the shit out of me right now, to be completely frank. And, you know, that's the thing because it's not like the Mets are going to be tested endlessly down the stretch with this pen. Yes. You got this big matchup against the Phillies four games, and they're going to really have to use a lot of these pitchers again. Then you got the Subway Series, but you got Max and Jake. So hopefully they both go, let's say, assumably seven innings. That would be the most ideal from both of them. And then you got the Dodgers at the end of the month. But after that, you have the easiest schedule you've had all year in September up until you have that Braves matchup, your final series, the second to last series of the year. So we may see a lot of these guys really find their game against lesser opponents, but how are they going to look then when they match up against the Braves before the season ends and then ultimately playoffs? Is this something where they're going to build confidence against lesser opponents, hopefully, and can ride that and do that effectively against better teams come playoff time? Or are we going to kind of be tricked as Mets fans and see guys produce really well against, again, below 500 clubs, and then they come back to reality. So we're really not going to know for certain until we get down the stretch and come playoff time what exactly the Mets have here. And it's going to be crucial to see what Drew Smith does, Tyler McGill, but that's it for the Braves series. Let's talk about a quick highlight again as we raved about Brett Beatty. I mean, to say my reaction was ridiculous is an understatement to see him hit that bomb, but to see his quality at bats, Brett Beatty has looked locked in. Every single at-bat he's had. I think he struck out once this entire series in the first two games. He put the ball in play basically every single time. Hard contact. It doesn't matter if you're a lefty on lefty or a righty. He's going to hit you. And this was a Beatty that entering this series to be called up by the Mets, 800 OPS against Southpaws this year in the minor leagues. A roughly not a roughly 1,000 OPS against right-handers. So he's raked from both sides. It doesn't matter who you're, who's throwing. He's still going to barrel that bad boy. So, Joe, I kind of want to know in further length, what excitement level do you have for a Brett Beatty right now that, let's be honest, it's his job to lose. Eduardo Escobar is on the IL. He's a fully aware that he's been platooning for a bit because of how well at least Yorme was pitching, uh, not playing rather. And I understand Yorme is someone that has an elite glove when he's healthy, closer to playoff time, if not playoff time, he's going to be crucial to having this Mets team. Maybe they're going to have some days where they have maybe Yorme at, Yorme at second and they throw Jeff to left just because they want their deepest team possible, both offensively and defensively. But for Brett Beatty right here, right now, there's a fair argument to be had that unless he completely falls off a cliff, he very well could be with this Mets team for the remainder of the season, make an impact, especially in September, and have an impact come playoff time. So what, what's your takeaway on all that? I'll tell you what, I wish I wish Guillaume was in there um, late in the game when uh, when DeGrom gave up that infield hit to Grisham. I, yeah, I agree. Made I, he would have had it. Uh, I agree. I agree. I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to rag on the kid. Um, I, I do think really quickly that that should have been an unearned run. I know that he had to show some range and go to his left on that, but I thought it was not really a hard hit ball. I thought it was hit softly enough that the play should have been made. I thought that was an error, not an infield hit. Is what it is. Hometown scoring. They want to inflate DeGrom's ERA, whatever. Uh, but overall, when it comes to Beatty, you know, like I said before, man, the thought of him and Alonzo manning the corners of the infield for the next decade plus, how can you not get excited thinking about that? I mean, these are two guys that, you know, defensively, they may not offer a whole, uh, a whole lot, you know, but these are two guys that 
have great bats that they're young, you know, especially in Beatty's case, he's super young, but I believe that they've both shown potential to be great leaders. Pete already has, you know, I'm ready for Pete to have that C on his chest. To me, Alonzo is, is worthy of being a captain. Beatty, from what I've seen and heard in the minors, he's got a great head on his shoulders. He's a leader as well. Uh, seems really mature for his age. I mean, is he, how, what, what is he? Is he 22 years old? He's 22. I'm literally 22, 22. In, like, in 10 days. So we're like the same. Yeah. I mean, ridiculous that I'm two years older than this kid. And, uh, and, you know, he already kind of gives that pros pro vibe to him. Uh, you know, I, and, and I mentioned him and Pete for the next decade plus Lindor is on a 10 year contract and, you know, McNeil is, you know, I hope he's a career met. It's like, he, he's the, he's the guy that he's the missing puzzle piece. You know, we know Lindor is going to be here. I hope we know Pete's going to be here. I can't imagine the Mets not locking Pete up. You know, if, if we retain Jeff, Beatty's the guy. Escobar was always going to be a, a short-term, you know, he was a layover. And he hasn't performed at all this year. Had that little hot streak in July, but really has not performed consistently at all. And now that he's on the shelf, it's like we're getting Beatty sooner than expected. And he might never leave. And that is really, really freaking exciting. Beatty is the beginning of the new Mets, right? We have Francisco Alvarez. He's the guy that everyone's talked about since day one this year. Once he getting called up, well, as much as we love Alvarez, he's still hitting below the Mendoza line in AAA. So it's still an adjustment for him, not just offensively being consistent, being not as much swing and miss, even though that's his game because when he barrels a bad boy, it's going 500 feet. That's why he's a top prospect of baseball still right now. Mark Vientos has done anything and everything to be called up, but he just doesn't have defense. So that's what made Brett Beatty so enticing to be this call up among himself and Vientos in particular. But while Beatty still needs adjustments at the defensive hot corner, there's no denying that, it really feels like his bat is going to make up for it in the end. He just looks calm cool and collected has that Yelich S Swain, as I mentioned that Keith compared, but he just has so much power. And this is a power that he's built in a fairly short period of time. You know, 19 bombs in triple a this year, 75 runs scored 60 RBIs way over 900 OPS. This kid has done everything in such a short period of time here. And now that he's with the Mets, I mean, how can you not rave about him to say the excitement level if the Mets need a spark, if they need a guy that can give them more consistent offensive production, look no further than Brett Beatty to help this Mets team right here, right now, especially as they enter a batter's box in Philly. And let's segue into this Phillies matchup now, shall we? Because the Mets got a four-game set going on right now. And I did not think that this four-game set would be as important as it is right now, but it is. Even with the Phillies being up and down as of late since they played the Mets, you know, you look at this Mets team, Joe, and one thing that I have been honestly concerned with this offense is how it's constructed. No, they're not big hit or miss, but when the Mets do lose their eye a little bit at that strike zone, they're not able to grind out those at-bats. So you don't have that consistent home run ball for the most part that you get with the Braves. As crazy as swing as miss as they are, and as much as I love the Braves offense, they are a team that is susceptible to really striking out a lot. And that's why I love the Mets. But when you see the Mets get carved up by Ranger Suarez, when you see the Mets get carved up by Aaron Nola, not Zach Wheeler, but again, Aaron Nola, you look at the same thing with Spencer Strider to a lesser extent, Charlie Morton, a guy that had basically like his best start so far this year for the Braves when he's like, what, 37, 38 now? Oh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to slide him because we got Jake. We got Max. These are older pitchers, but they aren't. He isn't to those degrees, obviously. Point being is that the Mets have proven to me many times this year, while they can hit competent pitching, they don't do it consistently. And it reminds me a bit, especially in that stretch in June, when they faced the Dodgers. They could do nothing against Tyler Anderson. They didn't do well against Urias. They can't hit you, Darvish, both in San Diego and at home. And these are guys that, again, aren't the best pitchers in the world, but are among the better ones in baseball right now. So you look at the laundry list of starters that the Mets have faced this year. You look at how they faced against the Astros. Even without McNeil in the lineup, they could not hit shit. Let's call it out plain and simple. That is a concern for me as a Mets fan that knows that they're destined to ball out. Maybe they won this Philly series, even against Nola and others, maybe even Wheeler too. And maybe they're going to do the exact same thing down the stretch in September against lesser opponents. But I personally am going to be very interested to see how they go down the stretch. And I'm just filled with question marks, Joe. I really am. I don't know exactly how this offense is going to look when it matters most. The same exact thing that can be said with this bullpen, but if there's any time for the Mets to jump and get offense going, it's in Philly, and it starts with Pete Alonso. 
Pete Alonzo, he is the David Wright 2.0 in Citizens Bank. He absolutely rakes in that place. Look at the numbers. They will tell you exactly that. And the Mets, the matchups, they're fun. I'm going to be in game one for this game. I'll be in like 400-something, taking my buddy. It's his birthday today at the time of you guys watching and listening to this or recording, actually. He's a Phillies fan, though. He's a schmuck, but I'm like, you know what? I'll take Ooh. him in. I reside in PA, so I have to deal with this. But major I'm, schmuck. I'm major schmuck, I know. But I, I'm taking him the game. I'm like, you know, you get to watch your Phillies. I get to watch my Mets. Maybe I'll stream after while you're driving. Hopefully the Mets win and you hear me rant for an hour on my phone. It'll be fun, hopefully, right? But we get Seabass who's done so well against the Phillies. We see here five innings, zero earned runs the last time he matched up against in their last series. 10-7 and seven with a 3.27 ERA. Was an absolute bulldog to get out of that jam in that fifth inning, his final start especially. Facing off against, yes, Aaron Nola, the man who went eight innings, one earned run, eight strikeouts against the Mets. Mets still somehow won because they had the better pitcher in Jacob deGrom. Eight and nine on the year with a 3.07 ERA. Joe, what's your, what's your initial raw reaction to this game one matchup? How are you feeling about it? Bassett's been great lately, but I mean, you know, Nola threw a complete game against us, allowed one run. Like, that's nothing to scoff at. I don't care at the end of the day, win, loss, whatever. I care about the team win. I don't care about how it impacted his record. Guy has gotten, uh, he's gotten a lot of rough breaks this year. You know, you mentioned his ERA is almost sub three. What is it, 307? And he's eight and nine. Um, you know, that, that should never happen, obviously. I mean, we've seen worse. We've seen Jake, Jake go, what? Jacob DeGrom is looking somewhere with work on his face. <laughs> yeah, like, we've seen him go, what, 10 and 9 with a sub 2? Um, but, yeah, Noah's, Noah's a dog. Uh, but, you know, but lately, Bassett hasn't just been a dog. He's been a freaking pit bull. And uh, I think you and Rec mentioned me, actually, last episode when I missed it. I think you guys referenced me when you were talking about Bassett. And just mentally... You know, the guy was, what, 7-7 seven and seven at one point with, like, a 3.7 ERA. Yep. So, now three straight wins. The ERA is already, you know, under 3-3, 3-2-7. You know, you're looking at a couple more good starts. The guy's going to have a sub-3. It's like not too long ago. We were a long way away from that. He's been incredible. Chris Bassett's been incredible. Now, this is not a pitcher's park, Citizens Bank. And Bassett's home and road splits are vastly different. He's been a lot better at City Field this year than he's been elsewhere. Uh, so, you know, you don't have a lot of wiggle room and that's why this game makes me nervous. Citizens bank park. You don't have a lot of wiggle room. Noah's a really good pitcher. Uh, it could be first guy to make a mistake. You know, that, that guy's ship gets sunk. Uh, we'll see, but this is an important game, you know, four games set, you know, wheelers going one of the two games. Is it Saturday? They've got the double header, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, wheelers going one of those two. Uh, this is a really important tone setter. You know, you really want to go up uh, 1-0 here, you know, expecting hopefully a split Saturday. And then who knows what happens Sunday because that's so up in the air with Ty's health and his availability. I will go as far as to say is that this game one is the most important game by far the series because Bassett on yeah. paper, he's the Mets best pitching option this series. Let's face it. You know, there's no denying that Bassett is the best guy that the Mets will have available. And it's going to be huge to see how deep he can go in this game because Nola has proven he can go six seven, even eight if he's really carving up guys. But he's Bassett is not a guy that's been notorious for going deep in games. You know, he might give you a strong six, but he does work that pitch count up a little bit if he, again, is gained some soft contact, whatever it may be. Because, again, when you have an arsenal like Bassett, well, he's just throwing anything and everything at you. And when he doesn't have his best stuff, that is especially where he's just going to grind you out and make sure they can do the best he can. He's a guy that wants to eat innings, but he consistently is not a guy that's going seven every fourth, fifth day. So I think it's really going to come down to not just these matchups, but who potentially even goes deeper because of the lack of trust that I have in this Mets bullpen right now. They need to prove to me their worth because they haven't as of late. It's as simple as that, man. But we got the double header. That's a big one for the Mets. And we got two guys that just a couple days ago were not even in the Mets rotation. Here they are pitching in games two and three of the double header. David Pearson, who I am excited to see, I'm not going to lie. David is still on his normal rest to be a starter. And now we slide in for Cookie Carrasco in this rotation for the next month. And thank goodness for David Pearson, what he has done to this point in this season, right? He's been really, really strong. That slider down and in, that slider down and away. He's looked nasty. He's been, uh, to a lesser extent, doing his best Scherzer to Grom Diaz impression. When that thing is going, he's getting a lot of swing and miss. And Pearson on there, he's 6-2 and two with a 3.3 year right. Last time he faced the Phillies was only once this year, April 11th, like their first matchup this year. He went four scoreless. I'm pretty sure that was actually the game Taiwan Walker got hurt 
early in the season. And then Pearson came in to pitch for him in long relief. So Pearson did good then. That was a very different Phillies team than it is now. He's matching up against Zach Wheeler. Wheeler, of course, we know the story with him. 11-6, and 2.92 year Ray. The Mets got the better number of Wheeler. Six innings, six earned runs. I need to see the Mets do more of that because this is a series. I don't expect Pearson to go deep. I don't expect Williams to go deep. How's that bullpen going to look? Who's going to be available? The offense needs to prevail here. And in game three, Trevor Williams, who, while he's been phenomenal for the Mets, he has been a far superior reliever than he has been a starter thus far in the season. Two and five with a 3.02 year Ray. Pitched two scoreless innings in relief against the Phillies last time they matched up. Facing Falter, who is a young pitcher for the Phillies, who's owned three on the year with a 4.85 year Ray. Surrendered two earned runs in three innings against the Mets back in late May. So, What's your take on that doubleheader? Because for me, it, I just feel like we could see a, a hell of a lot of offense, if I'm being quite frank. Yeah, man. I mean, look, I love Peterson, and I love Trevor Williams, and they've both played huge monumental parts in the Mets' success this year when Scherzer's gone down, while Jake was out. But you you hit the nail on the head. You mentioned that they don't go deep into games, and that scares me. And especially, I need Bassett to go deep Friday night. I need I need like seven strong out of Seabass because as tough as he pitched as well as he pitched his last start, he went five. We cannot afford the Mets right now with, with all these games and so few days and, you know, five game sets with the Braves and four with the Phils and the Mets can't afford Bassett to go five in game one because Peterson on his best day is probably going to give you six on his best day, may give you five. And Williams on his best day is going to give you five. You know, I mean, what, what are we looking at here? Like, eight you know eight innings of relief in the doubleheader on Saturday and then Sunday who the hell knows you know with Ty how long he can go if he's even pitching if there's a spot starter then you know you know the guy's not going to go more than like five this yeah the bullpen right now is scaring me overworking them this series is scaring me inconsistencies are scaring me I'm not one to to sound the alarms you know but right now that's my biggest takeaway at this doubleheader is man how are we going to navigate this bullpen and hopefully Bassett can save them on Friday night. 100%. And looking at game four, this is, this is a wild card right now. The time recording this, we don't know. Taiwan Walker, as we mentioned earlier, said it was the worst pain he's ever felt from those back spasms. So even though it looked like he was, it was a simple play going to first, he really cramped up bad to the point where he hasn't experienced this pain ever in his career. He, however, again, earlier today at the time recording this, said he's good to go, feeling a lot better. But that is still undecided. And coincidentally, the Mets, who have Jose Buto, who's a young right-hand pitching prospect for them in the Myers right now, only pitched one inning today. And he is the most ready and available pitcher for the Mets to call up. So he's lined up to pitch Sunday, should Taiwan Walker not. But let's break them both down real quick. Ty on the year, should he come back? It's going to be interesting to see, one, how he's feeling. And two, how deep can Ty go himself? Again, he's a guy that at times can surely go deep when he has his stuff right. But also at the same time, if he's not feeling great, if he's not, if his pitches are a little flat, we could have ourselves with needing a lot of bullpen help. Walker, 10 and 3 on the year, 3.36 year rate for the most part has been rock solid, other than that Braves outing where he gave up eight earned and only one innings. And the last time he faced the Phillies this year in late May, five innings, only two earned runs. And he's facing against Kyle Gibson. The veteran right-hander for the Phillies is second year with the Phillies after being traded to the Texas Rangers from there last year. Eight and five with a 4.3 year Ray. Last time he faced the Mets at a solid outing back in May. The Mets, of course, won that series. The Mets have not lost a series of the Phillies all year long. He went six innings, only surrendered two earned runs in that matchup. But we have Ty as an option. But if Ty does not pitch, we have Jose Buto, who has right around a four-year Ray this year for the young kid. He was called up to AAA, has been pitching in both Double and triple hasn't done as well in triple A as he did in double to uh, not nothing drastic between a four, four and a half year Ray Buto. I have no clue what to expect from him. Regardless of his arsenal, I feel like we don't need to break it down because if he's rushed up and caught up, this can either go great for the Mets. Maybe they're going to get a guy that they can utilize and value down the stretch, maybe as a long reliever, or this is a guy that's going to get work quickly and is that within a couple innings, then the Mets have themselves another bullpen game. And this is, again, let's not forget a Mets team that just got off of a four-game series in Atlanta with no days of rest. So that just makes it that much more pivotal for these pitchers to stretch out and go as deep as they possibly can. So, Joe, what's your take on Taiwan Walker if he potentially pitches against Kyle Gibson and potentially Jose Buto? My take is, are we off Monday? 
<laughs> off day Monday? Um, we do not have an off day Monday. I'm in attendance. That's Subway Series, baby. It's continuing oh, to roll. They do have an off day after the Subway Series, though, because then they have a four-game matchup against the Rockies, which will go to the old-timers day game on the 27th. This, this is ridiculous. I mean, yeah. I'm uh, yeah, I'm sitting here, and I haven't been this nervous about anything for the Mets all year. It's like, it's, you know, it's tough. When you look at Ty versus Buto, it's like, I don't look at anyone giving us more than six. I'm just thinking about this bullpen right now, and I'm like, man, is Drew Smith back? Is McGill back? Can these guys who we currently have stay healthy? This is a scary series from a bullpen perspective, man. Uh, you know, with Ty, I almost feel like he shouldn't make the start. I almost feel like it's rushing him back. You know, if he experienced that kind of severe pain, I, I just, you know, he had his worst start of the year. Although, no, the Atlanta start was his worst. But prior to that, his worst start of the year was at Citizens Bank Park earlier this season, his first start back from the IL. And uh, the Mets bailed him out. It's the best comeback win of the year for the Mets. Absolutely. But, but Ty, you know, it was the second worst start of his season, one of only really two bad starts he's had. Uh, and then you get Buto, and, you know, for all the great prospects we have currently offensively, our pitching prospects are slim. He, he doesn't impress me all that much. Maybe he'll come up and, you know, be an unknown who shocks me. We've seen that before. You know, DeGrom, perfect example. Miguel. Um, you, yeah, yeah, exactly, man. So maybe, but it, it's like – you know, if we're down one, two in the series, he's not the guy I'm looking, you know, looking towards to salvage things and, uh, and, you know, save our ass and, and walk away with a split. Um, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I, I mean, I don't know enough about Ty's status right now, how he's feeling right now. Cause it's, it's so, you have to look at it as a day-to-day case. And I just don't know how Ty is feeling on a day-to-day level right now enough to be like, he's good to go. We can be confident in running him out there or it's not worth it. Um, but the one thing I do know is just, I keep it, it all circles back to the bullpen for me. You know, we just have to hit cause I feel like there's going to be some slug fests in Philly. I already mentioned, you know, this time of year it's hot, it's humid, the ball flies, but then you look at the pitching matchups and you know, the two games that Nolan Wheeler aren't going Gibson. I, I know he pitched well against us his last time out. He's nothing special. You got it. You got to slug. We got to make sure he doesn't look, look like anything special is the point. Yeah, he's got an ERA of four plus. He's nothing special. If you have an ERA of four plus, you're not. And the Mets have to really take advantage of it. And, and you know, Gibson's prone to the long ball. The Mets have to take advantage of that. Uh, and then who who are Philly running out there uh, for the other game of the doubleheader? Is that Alter. even known? Or... Alter. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you got to capitalize. The Mets have to capitalize. And in an ideal perfect world, take one of the Nola Wheeler games. Yeah, I think I as crazy as this is to say, I think a split of this series, regard. I mean, granted, I understand the pitching matchups and I understand it'll be easier said than done, but even a split doesn't feel satisfying enough after dropping three or four to the Braves. All things considered, all injuries considered, because at the end of the day, if the Mets just had a competent offense in at least game two of that Braves matchup, they split. If not game four, Game they split four. or win three of four. That was a series of the Mets surely could have had in their grasp, and they did not do it. They did not step up to the play, and they let it walk away, losing three out of those four against these Phillies. Again, Phillies haven't been doing a. They have not been red hot since facing the Mets. They've been up and down. Now is the time to take advantage because it doesn't get much easier. Yes, yes, the Yankees have been free falling, but we know the series since we know the vibe of Subway Series. Everything changes. Yes, you got Max and Jake but the offense still needs to show up. I, I don't give a rat's ass who's pitching. If you do not show up offensively, it's not going to matter. And we know this story far too well as Mets fans. We've seen it for years with Jake. We've seen it for years with other guys as well. The offense needs to step up. Pete Alonzo, Francisco Lindor. Lindor has been good. Alonzo has been in a little bit of a rut lately. I need Pete to break out this series. I yeah. really, really do. This is the ballpark to do it. Lindor has been amazing, by the way. For, I mean, Frankie Lindor has been our best hitter. Marte had that great game, two homers, uh, game three when Scherzer pitched. Uh, but, yeah, Pete's in a rut. And, you know, he's still getting base knocks here and there, and he's keeping that average right around that 280 mark, and I respect that. Uh, but he's definitely, you know, he, he's definitely slumping. I mean, he hasn't hit a home run in, it feels like, two weeks, right? He's been stuck at 29. Uh, I see, you know, Goldschmidt tied him. I see guys passing him. Uh, Pete's, you know, something, his timing, just watching him against Charlie Morton. I thought Morton threw some curveballs that Pete could have done some damage to. And I know Morton was on and he made everyone look silly, 
but he threw some curveballs that were they were low in the strike zone, but they were like knee high. They weren't, you know, they weren't below the strike zone. They were like knee high. And I felt like Pete, if his timing was there, could have driven them. And he was just way out in front of shit. Pete's Pete's a little off right now. We need him to wake up this weekend. Yes, we do. And I expect a good series from McNeil. Can I, I think again the platoon guys? Daniel Vogelback's going to get a good amount of playing time. Let's see him get a little hot. That'd be awesome. We love Hoagie Vogie. Darren Ruff facing his former team in the Philadelphia Phillies, a team that brought him into the league. Let's see him maybe hit a bomb, get a gap or whatever it may be. Yeah. And Falter's Tyler a Aikman. lefty, right? Yeah. What's that? Falter's a lefty, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, so, let's have Ruff take him. Exactly. And we're also going to hopefully see Tyler Naquin. He's, I'd imagine, start, if not, half the games and truly at least one of the double header games. Naquin has been swinging the back great in his past couple at bats, but it's very limited for the most part. He has been such a bright spot for this Mets team other than some lackluster defense at times. Those guys I'm looking to step up the depth of this lineup or more than anything. It starts with Alonzo and a guy that we talked about earlier, Brandon Nimmo. Nimmo does well against the Phillies. Let's see Brandon find your swing, control the strike zone. Yes. Nolan might be carving and Wheeler has good command, but especially against Gibson, especially against against everyone, I should say, not even just those separate guys. Nimmo's done it against the best of the best. I need to see him locked in so bad, just like Alonzo and everyone else. But with that being said, I think we hit the nail on the head. This was over an hour-long episode. You would think that would be shorter, again, for losing three or four against the Braves, but we had a lot to talk about, and hopefully the next time we talk, which will be recording Sunday night, will be out early Monday for you guys to kick off the Subway Series. We have a series win or at absolute worst, a series split to discuss. But before we get out of here, Joe, where can everyone find you? And do you have any final closing thoughts? Let me hear it. Yeah, well, catch me on social, on Instagram, at Joe Serralo, on Twitter, at the Joe Serralo. And, uh, of course, I've got my other show, Serralo Sports Talk. Took a two-week break because of this vacation I'm on. But I'm back in L.A. this weekend. I'll be back Saturday. The show will be back next week. And sometime in the next two weeks, keep an eye out. Got a certain starting quarterback from the AFC South going to be joining me on Serralo Sports Talk. So keep an eye out there. Hit me up on the socials. And uh, we're going to have a little flurry of episodes coming up. We're going to have a a Subway Series preview, Tyler, right? Monday morning that'll be dropping. And then quick two-game set. I'd imagine we're going to have another one uh, recorded Tuesday night out Wednesday morning. Absolutely. So uh, Believe in Queens is going to be busy, and we got some merch. So go rep us. All of our shirts say Believe in Queens either on the chest, like the, the one that says Believe in Queens, or on the sleeve for the other ones. So, uh, you know, rep us, send us pictures, tag us on socials. We'll re, re, retweet, repost, you know, reshare everything. And uh, maybe, maybe we'll even have to work in some giveaways, Tyler. I think we're going to have to exactly that. But yeah. that's yeah. going to do it for this episode, guys. Make sure to check me out, Wordy NYM, on Twitter. And, of course, on YouTube, if you guys are watching especially. Make sure to drop a like, subscription, rate, review, wherever you get your podcast, however you're listening or watching this. This was episode 15 of Believe in Queens. For Joe Serralo, I'm Tyler Ward, and we will see you guys all after the Philly series. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.